0: Welcome to All Your Favorite Music Is Probably, where we take a themed dive into popular songs and unearth the connections like a constellation of heavenly stars. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and rye whiskey enthusiast. And today's theme is all your favorite music is probably, surprisingly, LGBTQIA+. And my guest today is Gimby country DJ and leader of the queer country band, Secret Empty Society, Cindy Empt. Hi, Hi. Cindy. Hi, Cindy. (laughs) Thanks for coming on to my little show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. What a wonderful way to spend a morning.
0: Yay, and I brought you coffee.
1: You did. And heavy whipping cream, which is crazy and wonderful. Heck so yeah. so excited. You
0: no, know, half and half. My grandmother loves half and half. And half and half was, I believe, started during World War II when they wanted some of the dairy to uh, support our boys fighting yeah. uh, against the Axis. And I'm telling her, we won. We can have cream now in our coffee. We did a good. Our boys did it.
1: Well, there are some ladies helping too. I do believe that's and true. Probably some non-binary folks. So let's not be so gendered I, I, about it. They at did all. not give those
0: people dairy. Oh, <laughs> no, that's how bad it was. Women get wow. margarine.
1: Wow. <laughs> Women make their own dairy. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, ooh.
1: Sorry, that might be a little off color.
0: Uh nope. Public radio. Okay. So, um, so today we are recording this. It is, uh, the The time is in between Pride Month ending Mm -hmm. and Independence Day coming up. So we're in this liminal liberation moment (laughs) of about three days or so. (laughs) And I kind of want to talk about today, um, really about liberation, but in a more uh, not as uh, obvious way. Mm -hmm. So here's a question for you. When you were a young lass, do you have a moment where you remember seeing a musician and thinking, I think they're gay? I'm not sure. Do I even have the vocabulary for this? Oh, my. I was the
1: most clueless child in all the land. Mm. Um, I mean, my first crush was Lily Tomlin, right? So Fair enough. I didn't... Uh, I- didn't know that was Gadar, but absolutely first crush was Lily Tomlin. To And to this day, I watched that, you know, Grace and Frankie, and I'm like, yeah, she's still really cute. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will tell you that I was watching um, VH1 with my good friend, uh, call her E. Who sure. Later, you know, there was a moment with her, too. Mm. And um, we were watching, this was in high school, the documentaries about Queen. And... Um, they interrupted the broadcast to say that Freddie Mercury had passed away, and we were both super sad. Um, let me tell you, until all the like the posthumous biopics came out and everything, I did not realize that Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, was gay. I was that clueless, and you're giving me this look right now. But like seriously, I I was just in such a like little farm town and so sheltered from the gay. I'm just gonna say it like that because I find it super charming that I didn't know what made gay different than how heter... like i didn't know the cultural markers so you'd be like oh i get it now to the to the extent that i actually thought that all cuz all my female friends like to fool around at sleepovers i assumed all women were gay and that you only got married to have kids and then you had your real love relationships with your lady friends on the side like all those ladies who lunch things and Mm -hmm. all the stuff that we'd see in pop culture my child brain was so gay that it internalized that they must all be having wonderful lesbian moments off having their like ladies who lunch moments and they just married the guys for kids And that was just kind of like a friendship slash business arrangement. and I don't mean business like, you know, sex work. I just mean like, well, we want kids. We need to procreate. And then all the real love stuff happens with the ladies. That's how gay I was, which is why I didn't spot anyone pop culturally as being gay at all. Because I thought everybody was gay.
2: Wow. (laughs)
1: When I figured out that wasn't how it worked, I was like... Wait,
0: what? <laughs> my story also involves answering the question: uh, First time you saw a musician and thought, "Hmm," was also Queen. Oh, there um, you go. So, in 1980, mm-hmm. I took a cross-town bus to go to my middle school. Mm-hmm. And so I took the bus at the corner of Castro and Market in San Francisco.
1: Wow, that's a really straight area, Mark. For,
0: for those of you who are not familiar <laughs> with the corner of Castro and Market, it is the entree to the Castro area, the world-famous gay mecca, uh, gay-friendly neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, especially in 1980. So I would see the men with the short cropped hair and the short mustache all walking around.
1: I love the short mustache.
0: And then when Queen came out with the video for Another One Bites the Dust the same year.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, you're like, wait.
0: Wait, (laughs) Freddie Mercury, he looks like, they called it at the time, not my phrase, a Castro clone. And that's the look that he adopted, seemingly overnight, to me. And I went, oh, oh, Oh.
3: Freddie Mercury
0: likes the dudes. Yeah. But there are people who are not as flamboyant. Actually, most people are not as flamboyant as Freddie Mercury. And I want to talk about one person who is Pearl Thompson, formerly Pearl Thompson of The Cure. Mm, And he, mm -hmm. actually, I'll say they, because they are non-binary. And uh, they were incredibly important to the Cure sound. Robert Smith, was the lead singer, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote everything. But during the Cure's imperial period, and I mean from Head on the Door, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Disintegration, Wish. So iconic. All of those wonderful guitar tones were all from Pearl Thompson. Mm -hmm. Also, co-wrote most of that as well. So I want to play the person you did not know probably was non-binary till right now. Pearl Thompson and The Cure with the song Lullaby.
1: (gasps) I love this song.
0: And that was Lullaby by The Cure, featuring the wonderful non-binary guitarist Pearl Thompson. Mm. Turns out, Pearl Thompson did two tours of duty with The Cure. Mm -hmm. And he, sorry, not he, they, look at old man trying to get (sighs) pronouns correctly. Get off my gay lawn. They (laughs) left at one point because Led Zeppelin wanted a second guitar player. So when Robert Plant and Jimmy Page got back together for that short period of time, they pulled Thompson out of The Cure. So if you go on YouTube, you can find Robert Plant and Jimmy Page playing lullaby with Pearl Thompson. It's amazing. Robert Plant loves The Cure and literally says that in the video.
1: what I thought you were going to say is that, you know— They also then made Led Zeppelin queer. But no, instead (laughs) you're like, no, they made Led Zeppelin cover lullaby, which is uh, both sides of that coin make me super happy. So I'm just going to bask in that knowledge for a minute and be like, yeah, Yeah. that's good stuff.
0: Now I want to take it way back to the 60s when nobody was out. (laughs) Although Little Richard was, was he ever really in?
1: Uh, I mean, (laughs) come on now.
0: There is a wonderful singer named Leslie Gore Mm. who had a big hit called It's My Party, Mm -hmm. and her second big song was called You Don't Own Me, a fantastic feminist anthem from a 17-year-old. Yeah. And she was about as out as you could be without being out, which is don't ask, don't tell, don't pursue. Right. Although she did later... was chill on PBS called In the Life in the 90s, I believe. And it was, as you can guess, about gay awareness. And she hosted a couple of episodes. But she kept it uh, kind of locked down. Although mm-hmm. if you do see her as Pussycat in the Batman 66 TV show, there's some vibes.
1: You know, you're
0: right. Mm-hmm. Sorry,
1: I'm, my wheels are turning. I'm like going into the way back machine of my brain. And you are not wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's all it's all there if you look. Uh, So I'm going to play for you, You Don't Own Me by (gasps) Leslie Gore. Oh,
1: I love this song.
3: You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys.
0: And that was You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore. Leslie Gore also wrote a song you may not know if you ever saw the movie Fame.
1: Only 18 Mazillion times. And you remember
0: the great Irene Cara song, Out Here on My Own?
1: Yeah. She
0: wrote the lyrics for that with her brother who wrote the music.
1: Really? Oh.
4: There's so much Leslie
0: Gore. Oh, I love that. And, and that previous song we just heard produced by a young Quincy Jones
4: mm-hmm. as
0: his warm up to, you know. Michael Jackson, and and being Quincy Jones. And being Quincy Jones. Yes. So um, one thing we talked about off-air was by invisibility. That's true. And there's lots of reasons why that is, Uh, especially if you're a musician. Sometimes it's just the label would like you to not say that. Sometimes you're working through some stuff.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Sometimes it's just not uh, very important to the music that you make. And sometime, I'd
1: argue that that's rarely true. Not what I'm
0: saying. Not what I'm saying. <laughs> Although yeah. I, I do find it interesting that um, in the 80s, it was rare for a mainstream musician to mm-hmm. come out and say directly, I am gay or I am bi.
1: Which was hilarious considering the amount of like androgyny that was in fashion.
0: Huge amount.
1: Boy George, not technically out in the 80s, is like, wait, um... <laughs> Wait, um, okay.
0: Yes, uh, and one of the people who actually straight up came out and said, I am Mm by," is Dave Mm Wakeling of of English Beat uh, in Mother Jones.
4: Yeah.
0: Asked him a question, he said yes, and he went on. And, which I think is amazing, because he had zero problem with it. At at that point, I believe General Public was a a major band at the time, and it got no pushback. Not that it should have. Right. But he got to say how he felt in a direct question, and life goes on, right? Right. It's it's not like there there had to be a bigger statement, and he can be out and proud and still not have his career fall apart, which is fantastic. It's true. And I want to play for you one of my favorite Dave Wakeling written songs, which is Save It For Later by his old band. Well, we call it the English Beat here in America, all my friends in Europe. (laughs) It's
1: Save It For Later
0: by the band The Beat.
1: Oh, England.
0: And that was Save It For Later by the Parenthetical English and Parenthetical Beat. <laughs> by the way, have, so Cindy is a guitar player. Cindy, have yes. you ever tried to play Save It For Later?
1: No, I actually, as a guitar player, um, really focus on my own songs. I don't I don't do a lot of covers. And the ones I do do, like I uh, taught myself how to play guitar with a combination of a Leonard Cohen and a... Um, Tom Waits songbook. And so sort of once I was done there, I was like, "Ah, I'm just gonna write my own songs. Because a Leonard Cohen's jazz chords on a 12 string are just not nice to anybody, especially not 16 year olds that are bored at their boat launch guard job trying to figure out how the heck to have 18 million fingers to play one chord. But yeah, so I just I don't try to
0: play other people's much uh, I, I also have a story which I decided to pick up music books from my favorite artists. So I tried to play Queen songs, <laughs> which are not beginning songs. Like what what is this chord? What is a D with a circle next to it? Um so I decided to play something easier and I bought a book of police songs. And uh, Andy she. Summers will make you a better guitarist or he'll make you put the guitar back in the case. Just there's no middle ground.
1: I think I would suggest to any you know uh, early in their journey guitar players out there, regardless of your age, I was going to say kids, but that's not fair because lots of people learn to play guitars at all ages. I would say uh, start with a Willie Nelson chord book. (laughs) Just start there. Maybe Johnny Cash. Like, you know, country might not be your thing. You can, as you learn your craft, reimagine it into your own vision. But if you want to be encouraged to keep playing the guitar... Start with some con- some old fashioned country music, and you'll be you'll have much more uh, sense of accomplishment and satisfaction than you will with uh, some other artists that might make your head explode and make you throw your guitar out the window.
0: Well, you'll love this story. So, at one point in the eighties, Dave Wakeling got a call that he thought was uh, a gag, and it was Pete Townsend of the Who, okay. and Pete's like. I'm sitting here with Dave Gilmore. We're trying to play favorite for later. I think we have the tuning wrong. Can you tell us what the chords are? (laughs) So it turns out um, it's supposed to be an open D.
1: Yeah.
0: But Wakeling screwed up. So if anybody listening, it's D-A-D-A-A-D, which is only attributed to this song. Wow. So it's a combination of ringing strings and, and bar chords. And once you see it, it makes sense. But outside of that, two of the best guitarists in the world give up their hands and just called him.
1: Wow. And then you got to wonder, is this one of those, like, was he, you know, a little high, a little drunk? <laughs> like, was he like, I'm just going to, like, I know a lot of guitarists that... Uh, you know, write songs in varying stages of intoxication from whatever substance, and you kind of like I can just picture in my head right now one of those folks being like, "I was gonna hold on, I just get the open D." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I'm close. It's fine. Let's just write the song, and then you fall. Everyone falls in love with it, and then it's like, "What did I do?" Yeah, just don't touch the guitar again. We'll figure it out tomorrow. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. And then in the process, you end up making this brilliant thing that you would have never done otherwise because you would have actually bothered to finish your tuning. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do <laughs> but that? No, but no. Why do that? I want to take it back. Back before 1985. I know. So far back. And talk about The Drifters.
1: <gasps> I love The Drifters. Uh,
0: who doesn't love The Drifters? <laughs> well, I think Benny King did. Mean sp- people. Mean Mean people. We must have had a better feeling about the phrase drifter in the 60s because a drifter now is somebody you're calling 911 about, right?
1: You shouldn't, though. You should call your local, like, community policing resources.
0: If you have some. Uh, That's true You know uh, Maybe funding moved To help support them The Drifters Benny King used to be In The Drifters You might know him From Stand By Me He Mm -hmm. left to go be a big star and, And record Stand By Me
1: He succeeded His
0: replacement Was a guy named Rudy Lewis Who joined in 1960 and Rudy Lewis sang on some of the songs, you know, like Up on the Roof mm-hmm. and Some Kind of Wonderful. He also was a closeted gay man with an eating disorder and a crippling heroin addiction. Oh. And the day he was going to sing lead on Under the Boardwalk, uh-huh. a song written for him to sing lead, he OD'd. Oh. At 27. So, him, Cobain. Oh,
1: man, it's that stupid 27.
0: It is. But I want to pl- – not all these stories are going to end well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dang it, Mark. I need I'm more coffee sorry. for death.
0: Oh, no. Think about it. What's up to be a black man in the 60s in entertainment and you can't be out. But you're in public. You know, mm-hmm. the idea about – and with the black community also, not always the most open-minded to queer people historically –
1: yeah, Lil Nas X is getting a lot of flack for that uh, award show performance he just did.
0: Lil Nas X is amazing because he's probably the only out Black artist to be this supported by a major label. Yeah. for as much as he wants to do, and he is as he's nowhere he's as flamboyant as any other person on that level. He just happens to be very very openly gay about it.
1: Yeah, I mean you heard about that right? The the big making out on BET.
0: He <sighs> kissed a dude dressed like King Tut. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen other award shows. I've seen the MTV Video Awards. I saw uh, Madonna kiss uh, Britney Spears
1: and. Christina Aguilera. Oh. She kissed them both. Well, same. Same at the same time.
0: What? Ooh, wow. Honestly, I'm just amazed anybody cares about the BET Awards this much. It's the most any most white people talk about the BET awards in twenty years.
1: <laughs> well well, hold on though. I will say that the reason also that people didn't care about those other kisses, you know, by invisibility issues aside, is because they were performative. They were meant to titillate a straight audience and the artists weren't actually queer. No one thinks Madonna is actually queer. She's just, you know. She's in that community because, you know, my people like her music a whole lot and she's appropriated some of it. So it's like, you know, there's a whole episode that we could do about that. Yep. But, you know, it's non-threatening when you're pretty sure it's a straight person doing something just to be like, hey, look, we're like girls gone wild. (laughs) Meanwhile, you've got Lil Nas X being like muscled and adorable and confident. And he's all like, yeah, I'm super hot to all y'all. And I'm still super gay. Make it out on BET.
0: And on that note, him. <gasps> I'm yeah, going to yeah. play. <laughs> no worries. All good. I'm going to play on Broadway by The Drifters. Oh, I love this song.
5: They say the neon lights are bright, alright.
0: Broadway by The Drifters. I love that song, too. The <sighs> first time I heard it was yeah. George Benson's version. Oh, and the first time how is that? It, great. And at the end, he starts singing and, you know, humming the same notes he's doing the solo on, which mm-hmm. I'd never heard before. And I'm like, how is it? What kind of tool? It's like, no, that's, that's George Benson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called I'm George Benson, and I'm awesome. I want to talk about a person named Walter Carlos. Do you know Walter Carlos?
1: I don't. I'm very excited to learn more right right. this second.
0: Walter Carlos was a absolute genius about uh, synthesizers, and he helped uh, Robert Moog develop the first Moog synthesizer.
1: I've seen this in a documentary. I bet you did.
0: (laughs) And so Walter decided the best way to get the world to appreciate the tones and the spirit of a synth, uh, he recorded an album called Switched On Bach. He actually took Music oh, people yeah, already yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah. And then played it all on a synthesizer. And because at the time, those synths could only play one note at a time, it took him and his uh, engineer hundreds and hundreds of hours to do <laughs> yeah, it piece by piece. I can believe piece. that. The album did great. Sold a million copies, won a couple of Grammys. And he ended up recording more albums. He also scored some movies for Stanley Kubrick. And then in 1979, he... Came out as a trans woman. Okay, turns out that he had been living as a woman. At that point, was not comfortable about going forward. Mm-hmm. Had gender reassignment surgery in the seventies and decided in the late seventies and picking, of course, the uh, highly uh, literary magazine of that time, Playboy magazine.
1: You know, people disagree with that, but it's super true. It they, didn't. they, the articles were good. They,
0: they interviewed James Baldwin back when that mattered. <laughs> um, oh my. Okay, go on. Yes, and, uh, uh, and, and mentioned, and probably at that point, the most prominent American uh, trans person uh, mm-hmm. ever, uh, as well as being a, a major force in synth music. Yeah. So I want to play for you uh, a very short piece, uh, which is Bach's two-part invention in F major by, and now she goes as, Wendy Carlos. Was Wendy Carlos's two part, actually, Wendy Carlos's version of box, two part invention in F major. All 44 seconds of it.
1: That was a lot going on in 44 seconds, so that takes some serious skill.
0: It, it, and this is before Pro Tools, this is before sequencers, that was played by hand. Yeah,
1: that was just straightforward, like, so I'm super impressed. I'm gonna
0: do it. Speaking of impressive, I wanna talk about <sighs> one of my favorite guitar players. Dave Davies of the Kinks. I going to say me. My second favorite <laughs> guitar player. First favorite, not in this room. Dave Davies of the Kinks. And Dave <sighs> Davies outed himself as bi in his autobiography called Kink. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, that was the not even the biggest bombshell in the autobiography. I believe he talks to aliens or some other spirits. It's an interesting book. I would check it out, actually.
1: Interesting. I do love the kinks, so I'm all like, wait, tell me more. What, what else happened? What's
0: going on? <laughs> uh, but he also famously got that uh, Yuli Got Me sound by mm-hmm. slashing. The, somehow it was a damaged cone in his speaker. And he went, yep, this is the sound I want. There's no pedals. Just like, let me just destroy the, the amplifier itself just a little <gasps> bit. I love that. I old school, right? Pedals, pedals.
1: Well, it also like though, but it goes back to the thing we were saying before of like you take an organic thing that happens in the moment that wasn't on purpose, like mm-hmm. the the alternate tuning, you take a, a broken amp and you're like, Wait, that sounds amazing.
0: Let's do this.
1: Yeah. I recorded some vocals for The Last Record in a different room than everything else had been done. Mm. And it was a complete failure for most of the songs, but for one song, it made everything sound weird and ghosty and creepy with, I didn't do anything to it. It's just me and the mic, but the room was so bouncy with sound that it was like, well, what failed me everywhere? <laughs> one for one tune. And so it, sometimes it's just like these beautiful organic moments that make something that's absolutely iconic. And I love that. That's, I love that story.
0: That's great. So we're not going to play that song Oh But
1: <laughs> Well
0: Never mind all that time. No, no, no That's great you know, Maybe you will Scratch it We're going to play that song We're going to yes! play You Really Got yes! Me By The Kinks I
1: ruined your plan <laughs> Organic Moments Organic for the Moments the <sighs> Girl,
5: You really got me going You got me so
1: I will say, though, that I apologize to the people that you did not get to hear Lola, because that also is an amazing (laughs) song, and that's what was planned. But I just manipulated Mark unintentionally into playing the other song, so that's my fault.
0: And that was not only The Kinks, You Really Got Me, but also an explanation of why we played The Kinks, You Really Got Me. (laughs) That was The Kinks, You Really Got Me. I'm from San Francisco, as you may know, and San Francisco, from the time I was born to now, if you drew a Venn diagram of gay-friendly and experimental music, the one band that actually would fit into both are The Residents. Oh, you know yeah. The guys with the big eyeball masks and tuxedos, and they are still one of the most popular experimental bands on the planet. They've had... I think, 50 albums, 50 years' worth of music. They, and,
1: have, they have been very prolific.
0: And they are their own thing to a large degree. Yes. The other thing about the, the residents is that no one knew who they were. They kept their names away from oh, the public. Yeah. And in fact, most of, them, most of their names still are not known to the public. In fact, the one name we do know is a guy named Hardy Fox, who died in 2018. And he was the primary composer and record designer for the residents. And only when he passed away did we realize who he was and that he had a husband. Oh. So, which is blowing my mind because I had no idea that he was family.
1: Well, that that actually uh, makes me think of an interesting question, which is how does knowing someone's sexuality impact how you are hearing the songs? Because I have my own opinions about that, and I think that everyone brings their own experience to songs. So how, for you, as a, a lover of music, you know, and just being such a student also of the pop culture and the influences behind music, when you, like, with your lizard brain, hear a song and you know that the singer is a different, you know, gender identity or sexual orientation than you, and that includes, like, songs that are written by women, too, as well as, you know, non-binary and trans folks, like, how does that impact your hearing of it? Or does it at all? It might not.
0: It impacts, I think, about particularly their work ethic. Yeah. If you spend 50 years making sure nobody knows who you are, mm-hmm. what you look like, right? anything about you, mm-hmm. they called it the theory of obscurity, which meant that if you are working without a, uh, a visual counterpart, you are free to do anything and go anywhere you want because people, their expectations of who you are and what you are don't exist.
1: But wait a minute, think about the theory of obscurity Yes. when you've got the primary composer being a gay man who is oppressed and can't be seen, and then let's connect that to um, Invisible Man, the novel.
0: Oh. Yeah, yeah. look at that. Look at that. The
1: way it can all... Oh, my goodness. I feel like I want to go home and write a paper. (laughs) Okay, go on.
0: Sorry. That's what I was getting at. It's like... um, Even Melissa Etheridge and Bob Mould who's Du almost always wrote in the second person. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they ever said it was a nice way of getting around gender pronouns. Right. But it was a nice way of getting around gender pronouns without having to lie or say something you don't feel is true. Right. And if you take one step back and you're an eyeball. Yeah. You know, uh, for all I know, the other three people in the residence are women. I have no idea.
1: It also could be, you know, the fine art um, theory of the male gaze. Mm-hmm. You know, and how all women in paintings for a long time were, like, looking down or aside. Yes. And it was very revolutionary when women got to look back out of the painting. Think about... A band which is always being stared at by other people. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you take those eyeballs and you just turn them right back. And That's now right. we are the eyeball. That's the right. The audience is actually the spectacle. Look at that.
0: Look at that.
1: Craziness.
0: And this is why I love knowing about this. <laughs> so, I'm going to play for you a song that was on the album called Duckstab, and it's called Constantinople. that was Constantinople by The Residents, which also r- reminds us, of course, of uh, They Might Be Giants, Constantinople. Istanbul,
3: Constantinople. And, no, and you, you Constantinople.
0: would be not surprised <laughs> to know that They Might Be Giants
1: are big fans <laughs>
0: of The Residents.
1: Not surprised at all.
0: At all. Nope. Let's talk about something else surprising. There was a organist, keyboardist, singer named Billy Preston. And Billy Preston <gasps> has one of the most amazing... Resumes in all of music because very few people can say they played with the Beatles and the Stones and Little Richard and the Red Hot Chili Peppers.
1: I love the story of Billy Preston. I'm so excited for this moment. Please continue.
0: He started in the church and he played behind Mahalia Jackson. He played with Nat King Cole, you know, the small people.
1: The small people. He was
0: Little Richard's musical director on tour. And he also had his own hits in the seventies. Like he had a number one hit on his own after his first number one hit, which was "Get Back" with you know the Beatles. Uh, you know those guys. Those those guys. But he also was out in the industry, but closeted to the public. In fact, no one knew that he was a gay man until Keith Richards mm-hmm. actually outed him in his autobiography. Because you know, <laughs> Keith could be a rapper. With the amount of don't give a, he, on a regular basis <laughs> that he subscribes to. I
1: mean, I, I really like the Rolling Stones and I do like Keith Richards. I haven't seen anything come up that would make me not like him yet, but I would say that if he was my pal, I would not consider him the best person to give give information to that i wanted to ensure was secured <laughs> from the rest of the world
0: you don't see him doing ads for uh internet security anytime soon
1: i just think that he might not remember it's supposed to be a secret That's true. i don't think it's malicious i no, think no, you know no. it all probably said with so much love in the world but like oh yeah 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 by the way yeah you know joe cheated on your wife and Billy's like you know With that dude over there And what else should I say yeah. I don't know Let me right. give everyone secrets away. Five,
0: six, seven, eight uh, Billy Preston I think Had passed by that time So it mm. wasn't completely Yeah uh, mali- As you said malicious uh, But Billy Preston Was a major talent And I want to play A song from him <gasps> Oh good, 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 good Called Nothing From Nothing Here it goes Okay,
1: thank you <laughs>
0: Billy Preston, nothing from nothing, a semi-out gay man, brilliant talent, passed away a couple years ago. this year entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along oh. with LL Cool J and, and and the next people we're going to talk about, mm. which is the Go Go's. And we think about surprisingly queer groups that they don't always come up. But then again, who talks about surprisingly queer? We talk about super closeted people mm-hmm. and really out people, right? It's Elton John or it's Luther Andros. But in the last most recent documentary of the Go Go's, Jane Wheedland, the out by guitar player, mentioned that who goes
1: to my hairdresser.
0: Does she now? Yes. Well, that explains everything.
1: She's been at my hair salon and we've talked about our dogs.
0: Awesome. Used to date the drummer Gina Schock at one point and was actually surprised that Gina Shock brought it up herself in the documentary. For those of you who haven't seen it, they were one of the original punk bands in mm-hmm. L.A. And through a mixture of talent and luck, managed to be a huge hit band for a brief moment in time. But still loved and still performing and still got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: I will say, uh, there is, a, I do have a little uh, tidbit of information. In my pirate radio show that I used to have on Pirate Cat in San Francisco with another famous punk singer, they actually outed a different member of that band as having slept with them, like on four different episodes of our show. <laughs> In the early 2000s. So I'm just going to say. You're just going
0: to say if you want to go surfing on archive.org, mm-hmm. you know, you can find say out it. what that's about. Just I'm not going to do
1: it right here and now, but I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying.
0: What a perfect segue into the Go Go's. Hooray! Head over heels. And that was "Head Over Heels" by the Go Go's, one of my favorite tunes by mm. them. Yes. Again, a band not always thought about as being, as um, you say, quilt bag. And <laughs> quilt bag! Qu- Which is what queer? Uh, d- does the youth stand for anything? Yes. Undetermined uh, intersects. I think it's. Und-
1: I think it's undecided. It's supportive of like you know queer youth or older who haven't figured out quote, what they're doing yet, but they know that they're not in the heteronormative. Wheelhouse.
0: So like George Michael around Faith, where he was like not really sure.
1: Or like, you know, your 12-year-old kids who are like, I don't know what I am, but I know I'm not that.
0: I'm not heteronormative. In fact, even that word is not the thing I want to be. Too many <laughs> syllables. <laughs>
1: Nobody wants to be that word. That's. <laughs> I mean, people are like, I'm straight. Or I'm gay. But they're not like, I'm heteronormative. Like, that's just not a rallying cry that you hear very often.
0: Here is my Kinsey score. Of the huge chart.
1: You know, that would be hilarious if we all walked around like, oh, I'm a seven? Oh, I'm a ten! Gold star ten! Hi, You know, um...
0: Yeah. And with that, Cindy... (laughs) Thank you, Cindy, for coming on my show.
1: Are we done? Are we over? I think we're over. No! It's been
0: 17 hours here, and... But, uh,
1: But I haven't drank all the coffee yet. I've gotten through a lot of it, as you can tell... But, you know,
0: <laughs> you're welcome to come back and drink more coffee. I want
1: to come back and drink more coffee. You can
0: drink more coffee. Here, we can go off there. You can drink all the coffee you want. <sighs> that's scary. <laughs> all right. And that's our show. City might be here next time uh, on the ceiling from all the coffee she's drinking. I want you Thanks, to s-
1: everybody. Thank you.
0: Come back next week. We will unveil another fun theme. Ooh. Ooh original music by Spiky Blimp. And hey, I have dates. <gasps> I'm doing a music course called Big Breath, The Completely Abridged History of Bay Area Music. It starts July 27th. You can learn more about it from my Instagram and my Twitter, both of which are Mr. French, that is M R F R 3 N C H. I know having it be E would be easy. I thought so too. It was taken. So my handle is <laughs> M R F R, the numeral 3 N C H. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. Originally broadcast on KACRLP, Alameda. Underwritten by Spot Idol, a platform and app for creating and entering competitions. Learn more at spotidol.com.